Welcome again to Faith. If we haven't met, my name is Mike. I am one of the pastors on staff here and just glad to be with you. We are in our sixth and final week of our series, Enemies of the Heart. And if you're joining us for the first time online, you're joining us for the first time in person, in this series, we're just taking time to talk about our hearts and to talk about the kind of things that, you know, along the way in life, things can get stuck in our hearts. Not our physical hearts, our immaterial hearts. Just broken, um, ugly, sinful things along the way just get stuck here. And, and it's just a matter of time for the things that get stuck in our hearts make their way out of our hearts and into our lives and into our relationships. And so from the very beginning of this series, we've been saying that from an early age, we learn to filter what's in our hearts. We figured out, I'm better off not saying certain things. I'm better off not doing certain things because it doesn't go well for me when I do. So I filter those things even though they're there. And that's not a bad thing. There's wisdom in that. You, listen, you shouldn't say everything you think, right? You shouldn't do everything you feel like doing. There's some wisdom in filtering. But in this series, we've, we've just simply been saying that we need to do more than just filter, that, that if, we, if we never mature beyond just filtering, we're going to have problems because it's only a matter of time before the things that are in our hearts, they're going to make their way out. And we, we've been saying that this usually happens in stressful situations. You know, you're, you're having a conversation with somebody, it gets heated, you say that thing, and the minute it gets by your lips, you, you know you shouldn't have said it. And, and we'll say things like, oh my goodness, you know, I can't believe I said that. Where did that one come from? Or in the midst of drama, you do that thing, and the minute you do it, you regret it. And it's like, ah, that's just not like me. Why did I do that? And in week one of this series, we saw Jesus answer that question the same way. He said, it's because you've got heart issues. That, that thing you said, you, you want to know where it came from? It came from your heart. That thing you did, you want to know why you did it? Jesus says you did it because it was in your heart. Jesus, Jesus will, will tell us that the things that come out of us come out of us because they were there inside of us to begin with. Now, recently I heard a quote that just, it fits into what we've been talking about over the course of this series so well. It was from Amanda Palmer. She quoted a, a, an unnamed friend of hers, and she simply said this. She said, if you don't deal with your demons... They go into the cellar of your soul and lift weights. That is so good. I wish I had come up with that, right? But she says, look, if you don't deal with the enemies of your heart, if you don't deal with the broken things within you, they don't just go away. No, they get stronger. And it's just a matter of time before they pierce our filters and make their way into our lives and into our relationships. And so week one, we, we saw Jesus call us to do more than just filter, but to instead to, to do things that would help clean those enemies out of our hearts. And so each week we've looked at a, at a different enemy, and then we've looked at a different habit, a habit or two that's meant to help clean those things out of our hearts. They don't come easy, these habits. They don't come quick, these habits. We'll oftentimes resist them, but they have the, they have the power to do more than just hide the brokenness within, but to instead help us actually change. Now, as we continue this week, we're going to go in a slightly different direction. 
Up until now, we've, we've really been looking at our own hearts and what we need to do for ourselves. Today, though, we're going to look at not just what we need to do for ourselves, but what we need to do for people who we are saying we are living in community, the community of faith together with. So let's take a minute and pray, and then, then we'll look at some things that Jesus taught us. Father, just as we begin today, thank you so much just for Courtney and what you're doing in her heart and in her life. Thank you that as a church we get to be part of that. Father, we just want to pray for needs among us. Father, just again for Noah as he is fighting for his life, as they are working and struggling to get him off of the ECMO. God, we just pray for a miracle in this baby's life, for your hand of comfort and strength on his parents and on his grandparents. Father, we just pray for, for Jim and Neva as they've been exposed to COVID and are quarantining and waiting to find out if they have this. Father, for Pastor Samil and his, his wife Pat as they've been diagnosed with COVID and just pray for your hand on them and on their health. Father, help us please, just as we consider the words of Jesus today, to hear truth for our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, so when it comes to enemies of the heart, I oftentimes you know, just kind of go, okay, I'm responsible for me. I'm responsible for my heart. I'm responsible to monitor. I'm responsible to, to try and clean this thing out. And that's true. It's true for me and it's true for you. But today we're going to spend some time in Matthew chapter 18 where Jesus will, will point out to us that not only are we responsible for our hearts, but we, we bear a certain degree of responsibility for the hearts of those that we are in community with. In, in Matthew chapter 15, uh, 18, picking up at verse 15, Jesus makes a statement, and we're going to spend some time looking at this statement. We're going to actually kind of go back and look at what Jesus had to say before it and then what Jesus says after it. But Jesus makes a statement that makes us responsible, not just for ourselves, but for each other as well. Picking up in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, Jesus says this. He says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. As Jesus gets started here, he says, hey, hey, if, if you're in the family of faith with another person, and, and that person sins, you see an enemy of the heart pierce their filter and make its way out into their life. And, and just as we get started and we talk about this throughout the day today, really clearly, Jesus is talking specifically about sin. He's not talking about differences of opinion. He's not talking about, you know, disputable matters. He's not talking about, you know, like my preference over yours. He's talking about a clear violation of God's directive for our lives. Jesus says, if you see this in somebody else's life, there are two things you need to do. Thing number one, you need to go to them. Not, not pray for them and then forget about it. Not go and talk to somebody else about what you saw in them. Not go to one of the pastors and try and get them to deal with it for you. No. Right? Unless it's James. James doesn't mind if you do that, all right? Go to James. All you want. He'll do all your dirty work, all right? You know, not, not write them a note, shoot them a text, send them an email. No, implied in the language here, you are to go as directly as possible to them 
And then number two, you're to have a conversation with them about this broken thing you think you saw on, in their life. Jesus says, hey, if you're, in, if you're in the family of faith with somebody and an enemy of the heart pierces their filter, you need to go to them and talk to them about it. Now, can we just be honest? That's not very fun, is it? That's uncomfortable. Some of you, the, just the level of anxiety went up just as we just, as we just began to talk about this. You're like, I don't want to do that. And I get that. That's where today's enemy of the heart comes into play. See, the enemy of the heart that we're going to talk about today is indifference. And I don't know if that's the best term for it, but it's the best one I could come up with. And, and basically, indifference is simply this. Indifference is that thing inside of me that sees that enemy of the heart on display in your life and knows what that can do to you and your life and your relationships. Indifference is that thing inside of me that knows I should go and talk to you, but doesn't do it. Now, indifference can be motivated by different things. I, I can be indifferent because I just don't care. Like, I see that thing. I know what it's going to do to you. I don't care. That's your life. It's your problem. Whatever. Figure it out yourself. Or indifference can be motivated by um, selfishness. I see that thing. I know what it's going to do. I actually care. But I'm just not willing to put up with the, 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 the discomfort that goes with having that conversation. Or it can be motivated by fear. I'm afraid that I'm going to lose a relationship. I'm afraid of what you're going to do to me if I say something so I don't go. And indifference is a funny thing because we'll oftentimes try and dress it up in the language of virtue. I see that broken thing. I know what it's going to do to you, but I don't go and I, I don't say anything. And, and then I, I'll be like, well, it's none of my business. I, I shouldn't be nosy. I don't want to interfere. You didn't ask for my opinion anyway, and so I'm just going to, I'm going to respect your privacy. And all the while, it's really about, I just don't want to have to have that conversation with you. And so I'll, I'll use the language of virtue to try and dress my indifference up. But if we're going to take what Jesus has said here seriously, we can't do that. Jesus doesn't leave room for indifference. He calls us to go and to have a conversation. Now, before we unpack further what Jesus says here in verse 15, I want to go backwards and look at some of the things that Jesus says prior to verse 15, because prior to verse 15, Jesus gives us the why for what he's asking us to do in verse 15. Now, and then after we, we, we get through some of the why, then we're going to look at some more of the what that Jesus is going to ask us to do. And if you think that verse 15 is uncomfortable, buckle up, because it's going to get way more so. But let, let's go backwards first. We'll start with verse 6. Jesus says this. He says, if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble. Now, now, linguistically, Jesus is talking about people who are people of faith, people who are trying to follow him, and specifically about people who are new to their faith. He says, if anyone causes one of these people who are trying to follow me who's new to their faith to stumble, to, to go off the mark, to sin, to, to go out of the lines that God has painted for them to walk in between in their lives. Jesus gets really merciful. 
And he says, if anyone does this, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Now, some of us hear that and we're like, Jesus, that's kind of extreme. Jesus, that's kind of ugly. Jesus, this is 2020. We don't talk like that anymore. And Jesus will say, yeah, I know you don't, but maybe you should. See, Jesus' point here is that there are things that one person can introduce into another person's life that have the potential to destroy that other person's life. And Jesus wants us to understand that God cares deeply about the things that one person might introduce into another person's life. And God cares deeply about the people who have those things introduced into their lives. They're his kids. Those of us who are parents, we, we understand this, even if we don't think we do. Like how, how many of us are parents? All right. how, how, many, how many of us who are parents like our children? Fewer hands. How many of us are parents love our children even when we don't like them, right? All right. See, as a parent, you, you may be here right now. You, you may have already been, been past this point. You may be coming up to this point. There's a time where your child is going to reach an age where they are going to be most vulnerable. And it's an age where your child is old enough to make decisions that will significantly impact their lives for sometimes decades to come, sometimes their entire life. They're old enough where they can make a critical decision but they're still young enough that they lack the wisdom and maturity to make those decisions well. They, 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 your kid hits this age where they're just incredibly vulnerable. Now, whether your kid's there yet or they've passed that or they're coming up to that, as a parent, try and imagine your kid is at that age and somebody comes into your kid's life and they introduce them to something that has the potential to destroy your child's life. How do you feel about that as a parent? What do you want to do if you can get your hands on that person? I'll tell you right now, when my daughter was that age, somebody want to introduce that in my daughter's life, I will lose my religion. I will ruin my testimony getting a hold of that person. Don't you dare think about doing that to my kid. What Jesus wants us to understand is, hey, what one person can introduce into another person's life has the potential to destroy them. And these are God's children we're talking about here. Don't mess with God's kids, Jesus is saying. And then Jesus goes on. He says, woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. See, Jesus isn't naive. He knows this is a broken world. He knows there's garbage here to be gotten a hold of. He knows, look, if you really want it, you can get it. You, you, don't, you don't have to sit around and wait for somebody to give it to you. If you go looking for it, you can find it. But Jesus says, hey, just because that's the case, don't let yourself be the person who introduces it to somebody else. I used to see this dynamic on play all the time when I worked at Boyville. 
Boysville was, was the first place that I got a job after I got out of college. And it was basically jail for kids who were 13 to 17 years old. They had committed adult crimes and got charged as juveniles. And one of the things that a lot of the kids were there for was um, narcotic sales. Now, inevitably, part of my job was to try and sit a kid down and explain to them why it wasn't a good idea to sell drugs. And every time I had that conversation, I knew what the response was going to be. Because every time I'd have that conversation with a young man, they would tell me the same thing. They'd say, Mr. Rice, listen, those dope heads are going to buy dope. Somebody's going to make money selling them dope. It might as well be me. They're going to get it either way. I might as well make some money as they do. Now, what was always ironic to me is the overwhelming majority of young men who gave me that argument, one or both of their parents were addicted to drugs. And their parents' addiction had wreaked havoc on their lives. It had cost them their childhood. It had cost them all kinds of heartache and suffering. And the indifference that those young men had towards the people they were selling drugs to, they did not have that same level of indifference towards the individuals who had sold their parents drugs. No, they, they made a clear connection between the destruction of their families, the loss of their childhood. They made a clear connection between those people and the selling of drugs that they made to their parents. If I could get a young man to make that connection themselves... If I could get them to see you are becoming to someone else what you despised all your life growing up, I could help that kid change. Jesus is saying, hey, garbage is going to come. I understand that. Don't be the person through whom it comes. Don't be somebody else's worst mistake. Don't be somebody else's greatest regret. When somebody tells a story of how their life went down the drain, don't be the star of that show. And then from there, Jesus begins to talk in extreme kind of terms about how serious sin can be. He goes on and he says, if your hand or foot causes you to stumble, cut it off, and throw it away. It is better to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet thrown into the eternal fire. Now again, some of us, we read this and we think, okay, if you tell me Jesus is serious, like Jesus is literal here, like I'm just going to turn off the live stream feed. I'm going to find a way to sneak out of the room and leave church early. So before you turn off the live stream feed, before you sneak out of the room, no, I don't think Jesus is talking literally cut off your limbs and throw them away. But I do think Jesus is trying to make a point here that if there is something in our life, while we still have a degree of control over this thing, we got to deal with it now. He goes on and he says, again, just extreme language. He's like, hey, if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out, throw it away. It's better for you to enter life blind with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Again, you're like, Jesus, that's really extreme. And I think Jesus, I think Jesus is using extreme language because he wants us to understand how extreme this, just the consequences of this can be. He's going, hey, 
while you still have control of this thing in your life, if there is something in your life you know is out of God's will, while you still have control, deal with it now. Deal with it now before this thing takes control and makes your life hell on earth. And unfortunately, there are some of us who are watching, some of us who are sitting in this room right now, we know what Jesus is talking about. We, 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 we had this thing that was in our lives. And we knew this shouldn't be here. But I kind of like it. It's fun, at least for now. It, it's meeting a need. And right now, I have a, I'm in control of this thing. And, and to just like throw it out of my life like that, it just feels extreme. It feels restrictive. It feels really religious. I, I'm just going to just ride along with this thing for now. And somewhere along the way, a line got crossed, and we were no longer in control of this thing. This thing was in control of us. And Jesus is like, hey, before this thing throws your life into chaos while you still have a degree of control over this, throw this thing out. There are some of us here today, we wish we could go back. And while we still had a chance, throw a number away. Throw a device away. Throw a credit card away. Throw away the, the, that first chance to take that first drink, that first hit, make that first cut. But we didn't. And for a season, that thing made our lives a living hell. Jesus uses extreme language because he is extremely concerned about what these things can do to our lives. And then Jesus goes on and he tells a story. A story that, that when you first hear it, you're like, okay, what does this have to do with what he said and what he's going to say? But actually, it kind of ties the two of them together. It's a story that, we, that we, we looked at a few months ago here at church, which is okay, because Jesus would do this. He would sometimes tell the same stories and to two different groups of people in two different contexts to make slightly different nuanced points. And Jesus' story is simply this. He says, what do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, Will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go back and look for the one that wandered off? And everyone in Jesus' audience at that time would have been, yeah, of course, that's exactly what you do. And then Jesus says, and if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about the one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. Now, in our context, this story seems kind of strange. It seems kind of weird. But let me contextualize the story for you. Let's say you pull out your wallet. And you notice one of your credit cards is missing. Like, isn't that, anybody ever lose a credit card? Isn't that the worst feeling? Like, you have this panic. You're like, okay, do I call right away and cancel the card and then find it? Now i got to go through the rigmarole of getting a new card. Or do I wait to can you know, cancel the card and, and, with the fear that somebody else is going to find it and go shopping, right? I mean, when you lose it, it's just it's this miserable feeling in the pit of your stomach when you lose your card. And so when you lose your card, what do you do? You go looking for it. You turn the car inside out. You turn the house upside down. And when, you're, when one of your cards is lost, it never occurs to you to think, you know, I still have five more here in my wallet. 
Who cares about that one that's lost, right? I got the other five. No, when, when one is lost and five are where they should be, where's all your attention go? With the one that's lost, right? And then when you find the one that is lost, what do you do? You rejoice, right? You know, there it is sitting on the driveway right outside of the car. And the other five cards in your wallet are all like, well, what about us? We were the good cards. We didn't wander off. We behaved. And you're like, whatever. My lost card has been found, right? It was dead to me. Now it is alive. We got to have a party, right? This is how we do this. Which is why Jesus, this is, see, this is exactly what Jesus is talking about. And it's good news for us. Because what Jesus wants us to understand is that the way that the person in his story felt about that sheep, the way that you feel about that lost card, that's how God feels about you. When something is lost and you're searching for it, it gets all of your attention. Jesus is saying, hey, if somewhere along the way you got lost in sin, know your Father in heaven is doing everything he can to help you find your way back home again. Know that you are so valuable to him that when you make your way back home, he's going to throw a party to celebrate your return. And then Jesus ends his story this way. He says, in the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. Now, by way of review, Jesus says, hey, junk's going to come. Don't be the person who, threw, who, who that junk comes through. Th these are God's kids you're introducing that garbage to. And then Jesus says, hey, take extreme action. While you still have control, deal with this thing. And then Jesus says, hey, if somewhere along the way you've gotten lost, no, God loves you. You are valuable to him. He is doing everything he can to help you find your way back home again. Now, if Jesus was to stop there, we would be like, that's amazing. What a great sermon. It'd be nice if Mike stopped there too, right? Like, Jesus, that, that was insightful, that was wise, that was helpful to life. Give it up for Jesus. Give me a J. Give me an E, right? But Jesus doesn't stop there. Instead, Jesus picks up at verse 15 there. And Jesus says, hey, in light of all of this, when you see your brother or sister in sin, I want you to go to them, and I want you to talk to them. And again, indifference inside of us is like, no, 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 Jesus, that's so awkward. That is so uncomfortable. Jesus, it's none of my business. And Jesus says, no, no, this is God's child we're talking about. The consequences of this thing going unaddressed are extreme. God loves this person desperately and he's doing everything within his power to bring them back home again. I am making this your business now. And so when you see that enemy slip past their filter, your job, if you are in the family of faith with them, is to go to them 
and to say something about this. And Jesus says, if they listen to you, you have won them over. Now, among other things, Jesus is speaking to motivation here. He's letting us know, hey, when when you see something in somebody's life and and you know this is wrong, this is broken, we don't go and talk to them because we're angry about that. We don't go and talk to them because we're going to make them pay because they didn't just sin, they sinned against us. We're not going to shame this person. No, the goal is to win them back over. The goal is restoration. If I'm not going to try and help that person restore their life, I'm not ready to have that conversation yet. There's some junk in me that needs to get dealt with first. The goal is to restore. But to, but to hope in restoration, a different story gets told in their life. This person would say, you know, I, you know, I had this thing in my life and I knew it was wrong. I didn't want to deal with it. You know, and then so-and-so, they came and talked to me, and at first it bugged me, and I was, I was kind of mad at them, but, like, I knew they were right. So I cut that relationship off. I didn't take that loan. I changed the line of work that I was in. I quit doing that thing. And my life is different for it. Jesus says that the hope here is that you get to be a permanent part of a better story that they tell. Now again, we're like, okay, that's great. Can we just finish here, Jesus? And Jesus says, no. No. He says, you can't. He says, next, but if they won't listen. Because here's the deal. Jesus understands. Again, he's not naive. He understands you can see something broken in somebody else's life and you can go to them and you can talk to them about that and they don't always respond positively. The the person isn't always going to be like, oh, you're so right. Oh, thank you so much for telling me. Oh, since we've had this conversation, I'm just going to change now. You're laughing because it doesn't always go like that, does it? And so Jesus says, you go to them one-on-one and you talk to them. If they won't listen, Jesus says, then you're going to come back. You're going to take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Here's the idea. If I come to you because I think I see something broken in your life, and, and I tell you about this thing, and you won't hear this from me, Jesus says, you, you, you get one or two other people, and you come back, and you have the conversation again. And among other reasons, this, this helps clarify things. Like, I may, I may come to you and be like, hey, this thing is wrong. You're like, you're out of your mind. I bring a couple people with me so that if I am out of my mind, those two people can say, Mike, you're crazy. No, they didn't do something wrong. You've misunderstood. But I also bring one or two people along so that if I'm right, you, can't, you can push me off. It's harder to push off another one or two people who come with me to talk to you about this thing. It's easier to discount just one person. It's harder to discount a number of people who are saying the same thing to you about this broken thing they see in your life. So Jesus says, hey, you go and talk to them one-on-one. If they won't listen to you, then you bring back a couple other folks. And then Jesus says, if they still refuse to listen, you're like, oh, come on. Jesus, can you give it a rest? Jesus, I, 
I've already done things that no other Christian will do. I should get extra credit spiritually for this. I've gone and had this conversation two times now. Jesus is like, no. No, if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. Now, churches, we understand it, and, and this word that we translate here is church. Not the, when Jesus made this statement, churches, we understand it didn't even exist yet. If you were to translate that word literally, it would be assembly. And the idea here is this. Jesus is saying, hey, you're going to go and talk to them one-on-one. -on -one, you're going to talk to them three-on-one. -on -one. If they still won't listen, I want you to come back with a group of people who they are in community with, who are invested in them spiritually, who share faith with them. So contextually, Jesus would be saying, hey, I want you to go back and have this conversation with them again with their small group. Hey, I want you to round up their posse here at church, people who they share faith with, they're invested in life together, and have that conversation again. Have an enemies of the heart intervention, if you would. And then Jesus says, if they still refuse to listen, you're like, you got to be kidding me. Jesus says, if they still refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. In other words, you talk to them one-on-one, -on -one, and then three-on-one, and then small group-on-one, and if they still won't listen, Jesus says, you remove them from the community. Now, that sounds harsh, right? Sounds judgmental. Again, you're like, Jesus, we don't do this thing in 2020. Jesus says, I know, but maybe you should. And it's important to understand here again, the motivation. The motivation here is not punitive. It's about protection. It's not about punishing people. It's about protecting people. See, if there is unchecked sin in my life, that doesn't just impact me. That impacts anybody I am in relationship with or anybody where my life has influence in theirs. The, the demon that I'm not dealing with, it's going to lift weights. And eventually it's going to pierce my filter and spill out into my life and into my relationships. And innocent people are going to suffer because of what I refuse to deal with. And so Jesus says, hey, we've got something. That, again, it's not an opinion. It's not a preference. It's not a disputable matter. It is a clear violation of God's will. And I've gone and I've talked to this person one-on-one, -on -one and they refuse to listen. And we've brought back one or two other people, and they refuse to listen. We've brought back their community, and they refuse to listen. They're going, hey, I'm hearing what all you are saying. I'm doing this anyway. Jesus says, for the sake of the community, for the sake of the innocent, you remove this person from the community until they're willing to deal with this thing. And then you're done. Until they're willing to deal with it, now you're finished. So by way of review, Jesus says, hey, there's all kind of broken things in this world. Don't be the person by whom they come. These are God's kids you're talking about. And Jesus says, hey, take extreme measures to deal with the enemies of your heart. While you're still in control, throw that thing out before it throws your life into chaos. And Jesus says, hey, 
If your life has been lost in sin, know your Father in heaven cares deeply for you. He's trying to make a way for you to come back home. In light of all that, Jesus says, you can't be indifferent. When you see brokenness in someone else's life, your brother and sister in Christ, somebody you are in the family of faith with, you can't stand by and say nothing. You can't stand by and do nothing. There's too much at stake. Now, you have to engage in the habits of going and speaking. Confrontation. That's, that's the habit that cleans indifference out of our hearts. You go to them personally. You come back with some others. You come back with the community if you have to. Because according to Jesus, at the end of the day, we're not just responsible for our own hearts. We also bear a degree of responsibility for one another. Would you pray with me, church? Father, just today, as we consider the words of Jesus, I just pray that you would give us wisdom. Father, I pray that you would give us courage. Just to have appropriate, healthy conversations with each other as we need to. To have conversations when we need to about what is truly broken, to have conversations that are motivated by a desire to help a person be restored, to have conversations that are awkward and painful and uncomfortable because these are your children and you care deeply for them. And Father, if, there, if there's anyone who's watching today on the live stream, if there's anyone who's with us here today who's lost in sin right now, and they know that, but somehow today this idea that you care desperately for them, that they are valuable to you no matter where they have been, if that has been made real in their hearts, I, I want to invite, just create a space where we can pray together. And Father, we just pray, forgive us, please. Like that sheep, like that credit card, we're lost. We've gone our own way. We've sinned. We can't put our lives back together in our own power. We need a Savior. We need Jesus. In this moment, we want to surrender all of who we are to him. We want to put our faith in his life and death and resurrection. And we want to follow him. It's in his name we pray. Amen.